Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We'll be talking about the NBA and the association, and we will have our best for last. Now, don't forget to follow the show's Twitter page at JTimeSports. I repeat, at JTimeSports, all caps. And that is for breaking news. We've been all over the NFL free agency. So that is, again, for breaking news, show updates, things of that nature. And also remember to subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome in, everyone, to the show. We have an absolutely loaded show. I'm going to just admit something right off the top of the show. My fingers are tired from all of the breaking news updates that we have been getting out to you guys. So definitely follow at Sports or just type Justin Time Sports into your Twitter search bar. It should pop up. Spell it the same way. Spell it on the podcast title. It should pop up. Breaking news all day. Uh, stuff I'm finding out, stuff others are finding out. I'm retweeting updates, money conversation. NFL free agency has been insane. The NBA trade day li- trade deadline is within a few days, so I expect that to start popping off soon all over the page as well. But remember at J Time Sports, tell your friends about it so they can stay in the know as well to definitely stay on the breaking news cycle that I'm on. So I get you guys on it as well. But Speaking of that NFL free agency, it has been an absolute show the NFL has been putting on. So, as you guys know, the NBA offseason has evolved into just as big, if not bigger, than the NBA regular season. Now, NBA postseason basketball is king of the crown, obviously. That's what all sports leagues build for. Uh, you see the whole NCAA basketball season is building for what? March Madness in the tournament. The whole NCAA football season is building for what? The college football playoff and bowl season. The NFL is building for the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Everyone is building for their postseason. And so obviously the NBA postseason is king. But when it comes down to the NBA offseason, that has become just as big, if not bigger than the regular season. Because when you have big time transactions, when you have LeBron James signing to be a Los Angeles Laker, when you have massive trades, when you have franchises and conferences and the league as a whole being changed around, you've got Kevin Durant signing to be a Brooklyn Net or Kevin Durant going to the Warriors, you have these massive deals, it changes the landscape of the NBA and the sports world in general. Because before LeBron got there, the Lakers were a cesspool. Before Kevin Durant went to Brooklyn, nobody really cared about Brooklyn basketball. Now both of those franchises are at the top of the NBA, respectively. We'll talk about that a little more later. But in regards to the football aspect, you didn't really see big movement. Once the quarterback was drafted somewhere, he was there until he wasn't worth the money anymore. And then he became a journeyman backup or, you know, a plug-and-play starter, similar to a Tyrod Taylor, similar to a Ryan Fitzpatrick, um, where the guys just got paid, you know, but it, it wasn't franchise-altering. Or he was really old. Joe Montana to the Chiefs, Tom Brady to the Patriots, even though that worked out a lot better than Joe Montana to the Chiefs. Um, you got these older quarterbacks that moved. Well, now quarterbacks are moving. And not only are quarterbacks moving, big-time receivers are moving thanks to the cap. 
big time tight ends are moving, big time defensive players are moving thanks to the cap situation this year. Guys are being traded and guys are being moved. And this is uncharacteristic as that is, the New England Patriots were even more uncharacteristic as Bill Belichick opened up his purse, opened up his bag of money and just started handing it out specifically to a lot of Drew Rosenhaus clients. But he just started handing it out big time. And the Patriots spent more money in this offseason than they had, I believe, in the last 10 offseasons combined or some, or some massive figure like that. They handed out about $100 million on day one, $150 million on day one, and then they had a couple more contracts after that. The Patriots went out and they signed the two type, two top tight ends on the market and John Lewis Smith of the Titans, Hunter Henry of the Chargers. They went out and got Kendrick Bourne from the 49ers. They went out and got Nelson Aguilar from the Raiders. You bring a Cam Newton back. You also add in, the, they still have the 15th overall draft pick in the draft. So they made all these moves, including a couple of trades. Uh, they moved out Ryan Izzo and a couple of other situations that they did. And you still own your all of your draft picks primarily at the top. They still have 15, they still have 47, they still have 62. Um, so they have all of their draft picks early in the draft for Bill Belichick to try and maneuver. Because if you look at these moves, they were, in my opinion, the admission of some mistakes. Um, last offseason, last draft, Belichick drafted two tight ends in the third round. This season, he went out and signed in two top tight ends in the draft. Sorry, rather in free agency. That's an admission that I missed on those tight ends. He went out and Nikhil Harry, first round draft pick receiver a few years ago. What did he do this offseason? He went out and got a couple of receivers. And Nikhil Harry's name has been circulating through as a possible trade piece. What is that saying? I missed on Nikhil Harry. He went out and he got Jalen Mills. You know, Stephon Gilmore is possibly on the block. J.C. Jackson is only on a second-round tender contract so far. The McCourties are getting older. What is that in the mission of? I should probably start figuring this out because the guys I'm used to having running my show are getting up there in age and they may not be around very longer. But I will push back on one narrative that I've been hearing since this bonanza started in New England. Oh, Belichick is doing this because of Brady. Is Brady driving Belichick. Brady won, and now Belichick has to get even. No, he doesn't. And no, he's not. There's no reason for Belichick to do this other than my team has holes, and I need to fill them. Now, is Brady's success a possible situation? Sure. Is it a, is it a small contributing factor? Sure. But like Belichick stated last season, the Patriots didn't have money to do anything. He said, we only gave Cam Newton a million dollars because that's all we had to give him. It wasn't like Cam walked in and said, I'll play for a million dollars. So Belichick walked in and was like, I'm going to offer you a million dollars, take it or leave it. It was, look, if you want to come play, the only thing we have for you is a million dollars. And it's kind of a take it or leave it. But we don't have money to offer you to come bring you in. Cam accepted it to come prove himself. We know how the rest of that story goes. This offseason, Belichick was able to get out from a lot of contracts. He had he went into free agency with the first or second most cap space, depending on what figure you looked at. And he also had draft picks. So and Belichick spent the money that he had. He is using it smartly. Like I said, he is one of his heyday years with the Patriots, especially with Brady, was two tight ends. It was Gronk and Aaron Hernandez, it was Benjamin Watson, it was, you know, they had guys that came in, 
two tight ends. One was versatile. One was more of a blocking style. But one was a versatile tight end that they can move around. H back, running back. They did Aaron Hernandez. Um, flat out outside receiver. The way Gronk could split out wide and cause absolute matchup nightmares. They had two versatile receivers. They're two versatile tight ends, rather. Now they have that same situation back with Hunter Henry and John o. Smith. You add Matthew Judon to that pass rush. Kyle Noyes back in the linebacker's room. The Patriots are going to be, I won't say they're going to be back in the sense of I'm picking them to win the Super Bowl. No, I'm not doing that. Even as a Patriots fan, I, I have rational. But do I see them winning 11 games and fighting Buffalo for the division? Absolutely. Especially if Cam Newton is 75% of what he once was. They can easily win the division. Uh, if Cam Newton can get around 3,700 total yards, 27 total touchdowns, and keep his turnovers where they were last season, the Patriots are going to win 12-11 games uh, just from sheer roster talent and Bill Belichick's coaching ability. Now, the other counterpart to New England was instead of spending money to give to acquire, the Tampa Bay Bucks spent money to retain. Now, obviously, we, we know Shaq Barry resigned. They also brought back Ryan Suckup. They also brought back Rob Nikoski. They also brought back Levante David. They're in talks with Adamican Sue. Leonard Fournette has a market, although not a big one. So maybe he comes back for another year, tries to play a full year with Tampa, and then he'll get his money when, a, when the cap jumps, thanks to the NFL's massive TV deals with these companies, Amazon, Fox, Disney, etc. Antonio Brown, how big is his market, really? I mean, Ed, we're talking about Kenny Galladay in free agency. We're talking about uh, Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency. No one's mentioning Antonio Brown. I wonder how big his market is. But Tampa's done a hell of a job bringing everybody back. Thanks to Tom Brady's restructuring, they are well within the rights to keep bringing people back. And Dominican Sue is the last big chess piece left because you pick at the end of the first round. Yes, you pick 32, but... One of Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, or the tailback from North Carolina. I can't think of his name. But another solid back will be there. Worst kind of worst, you pick up a James White, who Tom Brady loves anyway, and is that receiving out the backfield that Tom Brady likes. So this is a situation where the Bucks are fine. They can replace pretty much anybody. Uh, the situation will be if, if Sue leaves, do you replace him with the best defense tackle on the board at 32, or do you still focus on the offensive side for Brady? But the Bucks have had a great offseason. Many believe they had no chance of retaining all of their major players. And they are doing so right now with the exception of Indomitian Sioux. Washington has had a pretty good offseason. They were one of the teams we looked around like they're not really, they don't really have a plan. And I mean, even this kind of came together oddly, but they didn't really have a plan per se. Uh, they inked Ryan Fitzpatrick to a one-year deal, which Ryan Fitzpatrick is the ultimate bridge guy. Maybe now you think, hmm, I have Ryan Fitzpatrick in the fold. I signed Curtis Samuel to pair him with Terry McLaurin, who the Ohio State do well. They were in the same recruiting class with Ohio State. Now they're playing for the Washington football team, which is pretty freaking cool. Um, and you think to yourself, I have a D-line. I have two receivers. My running back is pretty solid. My tight end is Logan Thomas. I could use a corner, I could use a safety, I could use a linebacker, I could use a back seven, basically. Um, but I have a lot of good key pieces, my offensive line isn't bad if I'm Washington. Do I package a few picks and see if I can get to four for Trey Lance? Now the goal would be to get to three, because you don't want anybody to jump above you. 
logically, we think Jacksonville is not moving out of one. The Jets are probably not moving out of two. So if they retain Sam Darnold, they're not moving out of two. They're just going to draft the best, probably the best receiver, Jamar Chase. Maybe they go Kyle Pitts. Um, but they, because they already picked up a receiver, a couple of them actually, Corey Davis with the Jets uh, to help out Darnold or Zach Wilson. Or if they sit at two, they're going to draft Zach Wilson. Three is the place you'd want to get to because that's Miami. Maybe you want to offer them a couple of other picks and they're willing to accept it, slide back to acquire more assets. Um, four is also a possibility with Atlanta. But if you're Washington, you have to think about that now because you may can fly up. Fitzy's money is not really all that guaranteed. You can fly up, go get a Trey Lance, go get a Justin Fields, have your quarterback of the future, and put no pressure on them because, you know, Fitzy can win a few games for you as he did for Miami next season, last season, rather. Cleveland is doling out money. They are taking advantage of Baker's. One of Baker's last year is cheap. Uh, they went and got a cornerback. Can't think of his name at the exact moment. They went and got a cornerback. They're filling in gaps. They still have the Odell situation, which many around the league believe is going to be resolved via trade before the draft. So either on draft day or before the draft, Cleveland will make a move about Odell Beckham due to the fact of there's no need for Odell at this moment in time. They actually played very well without him. Offense is not an issue without him. Now, I am one that says retain all the talent you can. I'm also another one that says, look, if you don't need a guy, you can fill another hole by acquiring something for him. So even if it's, you know, New England offers the 47th pick, like I said earlier, 47th pick and pick like 119 or something like that for Odell, you take it. Because now if you're Cleveland, you have another second round pick. If you maybe can package your own second round pick, slide into the back of the first round. Who knows what you can do with that other second round pick? That's that's another presumed starter. That's now if you were thinking like, man, I have to make a choice at whatever pick we have in the second round. Oh, now I can get them both. I can pick probably one a little earlier, and my second or third option is there. I can grab him as well. So it is a situation where the Odell problem in Cleveland. It's a problem at the moment should be solved by draft day by the first day of the draft no later than the second day if he's on the roster after the draft i give credence to him being a brown this season but even then he might get traded in the preseason um so it would definitely be something to look out for in cleveland chicago chicago and seattle have been embroiled in this like open flirt but not flirt in regards or in regards to russell wilson because Russell Wilson put out his list, or his agent put out his list, or somebody put out a list on Russell Wilson's behalf. Chicago is one of the teams on the list. Many, like myself, thought, why the hell would you go to Chicago? But they look a lot like the Broncos team that Peyton Manning went to when he won this, when he had his success in his second act. Good, Great defense. One young stud receiver. Uh, at the time, the Broncos had Julius Thomas, no, Demarius Thomas. They had Emmanuel Sanders as well, but they had Demarius Thomas, Allen Robinson for the Bears, kind of face that comp. You have a good, not great running game. You have a good, not great offensive line. And you have a good, not great coach. I mean, the Bears and the Broncos look eerily similar within the two. So especially if you can get the Bears and not give up a whole hell of a lot of players for you, Russell Wilson could go to Seattle and really make some big time success. You know, 
uh, especially if he, he can retain a lot of his players. Well, this flirtation or courtship of the Bears to Russell Wilson ultimately resulted in the GM of the Bears, Ryan Pace, speaking with the GM of the Seattle Seahawks, whose name escapes me at this exact moment. And they spoke in North Dakota. They both had Trey Lance's workout and they uh, spoke. Uh, The Bears reportedly offered three first round picks, two starters on defense and a third round pick for Russell Wilson. John Snyder is the Seahawks GM. Apparently, John Snyder really, really considered it to the point where he slept on it. And Pete Carroll stepped in as the ultimate decision maker in the franchise to nix it. So that is pretty much what that does is, though, that sets a market um, for Deshaun Watson, for a future Russell Wilson trade, for any quarterback that might get traded in that stature. That's the starting point, a combination of six. Uh, I said for Deshaun Watson, it'd be a combination of seven, but a combination of six. That is picks and players for Russell Wilson. Almost got it done. So Deshaun Watson being younger, um, longer under contract. I would assume that it would have to be. It would have to start at a combination of seven picks and players, depending on which how the GM values which side of the ball, um, and how the GM values which asset in a team building. Whether he wants players immediately or he wants picks to build for the future. Baltimore and Seattle as well are two teams that have been very interesting this offseason for the lack of movement. So Baltimore hasn't done anything. I mean, they've, they did lose Matthew Judon to the Patriots, but they didn't have, they don't have their receiver that Lamar has been desperately looking for. They don't have a number one receiver. They're losing more players than they're bringing in. Now, according to pro football focus, that hasn't affected their win probability. That hasn't affected their wins above replacement. Um, they are the same team that he was that they were. I mean, the Ravens are the same organization. They're going to run the ball down your throat. They're going to pass on third down, first down play actions. And they're going to play good defense. I mean, the Ravens pretty much were what the Ravens are. And so it is very interesting to see the fact that they have not done anything. Now, are they prepping for a Lamar Jackson extension? Probably. They also have a couple of other extensions down the road in the not-so-distant future they're going to have to take care of. So maybe they're anticipating that and they're saying, okay, we'll just sit this free agency out, sit off any main players because we have to take care of our own. Uh, they still have Orlando Brown who could net back cap space or a pick that could use to be traded for a player, um, but they don't have any moves on the docket of note in Baltimore. The Chiefs, uh, yes, those Chiefs, they went into the offseason with kind of a, a, a throat punch. You know, you go into the Super Bowl, you get punched, beat on like that. They kind of went into the offseason scrambling for answers. Uh, that resulted in releasing both of their tackles, and they had a couple other interior linemen that were in and out, possibility of the building. So this week, what do they do? They go out and they buy a top three left guard in the league, top three guard, top three, four guard, um, and Joseph Tooney of the Tooney of the New England Patriots. He was a landmark guy. The Patriots franchised him last year. Kind of odd they didn't get to a deal, but 
he was he's heading to Kansas City on a five-year, $80 million-plus deal. Also, they Kyle Long, the Pro Bowl guard, comes out of retirement, and he goes to the Chiefs on a one-year deal, low money, low risk, high reward, and he goes to the Chiefs. The Chiefs also bring back Mike Rimmers, who, as we know, was the starter at tackle for the Super Bowl. He was also a starter at tackle for Cam's Super Bowl. Not the biggest of endorsements if you look at those two tapes, but he's a solid swing tackle in the NFL. So that's what they have done there. So the Chiefs are starting to bring back people to protect Patrick Mahomes. All right, so I don't usually talk about this kind of stuff, uh, but it's obviously it's making national waves on all the shows. Um, obviously, uh, the situation with Deshaun Watson and the allegations. Um, the details are not pretty. The details are pretty graphic, actually. Um, I won't go into the details, but um, I, I and I, again, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't venture into saying, "Oh, man, this is a smear campaign." Like that's that would be irresponsible of me. Um, irresponsible of anybody pushing that narrative um, for those women for other people who are actually victims of this kind of stuff. Um, these unfortunate events, it'd be irresponsible for anybody to push that narrative, uh, especially with, we have no real way of knowing that, uh, we have allegations up to, I believe it's nine women as of right now. Um, so they're all in one big lawsuit. They're all, uh, represented by the same lawyer. Uh, this lawyer is connected He's a celebrity lawyer uh, in the city of Houston. He ran for mayor. I believe he is strongly connected to the McNair family who owns the Houston Texans. So that is why some of the connections raised some red flags um, in the media or on social media. You'll see people saying, man, man, it's a smear campaign, smear campaign. None of this came out before you wanted to be traded, et cetera, et cetera, um, which could be true. But it would be irresponsible of me to say that and to trumpet that narrative we have no proof um i i expect him to go on the nfl exemplist soon now now i have no i have no tracking or um i have no information or inside scoop on him going in the exemplist because uh, it's not during the season so i'm not even sure the exemplist would apply but i the nfl is opening an investigation about the situation um, I hope it plays out and the truth is revealed. It's all I really, all we can really ask for in a situation like this, that the truth is revealed. If you did do these acts, that he is punished to the further extent of whatever they're doing. They're doing civil suits, no criminal charges. Um, probably because the lawyers suggested, because in a criminal versus civil, criminal you have to prove it would be on a shadow of a doubt. Uh, civil, you just have to prove that the offending party or the defendant was more likely. I mean, the burden of proof is a lot lower in a civil case, which is probably why they're doing civil, not criminal. Um, so if the damages are paid out, if, you know, he did do these acts, if he didn't, I hope his name is clear, that sort of thing. Um, again, I'm not a huge fan of talking about these topics, but it has become such a big deal. Uh, it's a, such a national story. Um, Deshaun Watson, such a big name and stuff like that. So, yeah, I would hope the truth is revealed and that justice is served one way or the other. Um, so, uh, we would definitely keep an eye on that and update you fairly often. Uh, it may not be weekly, depending on how long this takes. 
um, fairly often on the situation and what's going down if you aren't necessarily paying attention to it. But up next, we'll be shifting to the NBA and talking about what's going on in the association. Hello, everybody, and welcome back into the show. And now we are going to talk about a little of some NBA basketball. So as always, when we start off the show, let's take a look at the standings. The seven and the East. It is the 76ers, the Nets, the Bucks, the Heat, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Hornets, Boston, Chicago, and Indiana at number 10. And then in the West, we have Utah, the Lakers, Phoenix, the Clippers, Denver, Portland, San Antonio, Dallas, Golden State, Memphis. Now, taking a look at the standings, like I said, I really wanted to emphasize the Hawks. The Atlanta Hawks have won seven straight and have catapulted their way all the way up from play-in tournament to now they're currently holding the fifth seed and they have a good chance at getting to the four seed and possibly having home court advantage in the first round. And look, I know we're not talking about a lot about the Hawks. I don't think anybody on the national landscape is talking about the Hawks. But don't you got to put Nate McMillan in the Coach of the Year category? I get it. I get it. No one ever in the interim basis ever won Coach of the Year. And he probably won't because you've got Doc Rivers, what he's doing in Philadelphia for the first place team. You've got Quinn Snyder for the first place team of the West and the best record of the NBA. You have Monty Williams, what he's doing for Phoenix, the third place team in the West. You have Eric Spolster, what he's done with the Heat. Bud with the with the um, Milwaukee Bucks. You've got Tom Thibodeau with the New York Knicks. There's a lot of options. All right, you. I mean, you got. You, hell, you even got Frank Vogel with the Lakers because what they're doing with Anthony Davis should be commended. But the team's going nowhere fast with Lloyd Pierce. I mean, I I spoke to a couple of Hawks fans and they were saying, man, we could really use a change. We're just we're injury riddled. We're bogged down. We got infighting with John Collins and Trey Young. You know, there's a lot going on with the team. They weren't really a cohesive unit. They weren't really together. You fire Lloyd Pierce. You hire Nate McMillan. In a couple of weeks, the shift starts turning around. The Atlanta Hawks now have possessed the longest win streak in the NBA at seven. They, like I said, they have climbed several spots in the last week, week and a half. First, coming off the All-Star break, they are flying up the rankings. They currently sit fifth. Would play the Miami Heat in the first round, and I don't know who'd win that series. I really don't. And the Heat were in the finals last season. I cannot tell you who'd win that series. Okay, you got Bam Adebayo. They have Clint Capella and John Collins. You have Jimmy Butler. They don't have a Jimmy Butler answer, but you don't have an answer for Trey Young if you're the Miami Heat. Coaching on coaching, McMillan versus Spolstra. I coin flip. It honestly would depend on which superstar would come up with a Trey Young. And then think about it. The Hawks aren't even healthy yet. Rondo's not there. Chris Dunn's not there. Uh, they have another big-time player that's also not playing. I believe Bogdan's not playing. It's another big-time player in their rotation. That is not playing currently. Uh, so the Hawks could end up being the four seed, hosting the Miami Heat in the five. And again, I don't know who wins that series. If, if Atlanta gets home court advantage with the full crowd and stuff like that, um, I doubt it. You know, it's only a couple of months away. Uh, it's three months away. Uh, it's, no, it's a couple months away for the playoffs. I doubt they'll have full crowds. They may have half capacity by that point. Um, we'll see what Keishland's bottoms and the government of Atlanta and Georgia does. But. 
Atlanta versus Miami coin flip. I mean, it is it's a very it might be a very interesting series. Uh, Brooklyn is on fire. They've won 14 of the last 15 games. They've catapulted James Harden to the MVP race, as we'll talk about a little later. It is pretty spectacular what they got going on in Brooklyn. Uh, Kevin Durant's going to be out for a few more weeks, which leads me to believe that something's torn in that hamstring. It could be a micro tear, um, you know, because reportedly they he in Golden State, he may have had micro tears in his Achilles and calf area. When they said it was a pull and a strain, so he came back, the micro tears split, and now he had a torn Achilles. So I'm thinking due to the length of, it may be the longest hamstring strain in history. Due to the length of the recovery, there could be some micro tears in the fibers of the hamstring. And so to prevent further damage, to prevent a rupture, they're going to take all the caution they can, especially with Brooklyn playing the way they are, there's no need to rush him back. I wouldn't be shocked today, Anthony Davidson, who we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, where, you know, he sits until May. And then with about seven, eight games left, uh, turns up the conditioning, gets on the court, plays about 27, 28 minutes a night, and gets ready for the playoffs. Because they should dominate whoever they play and should need a whole lot out of him in the playoffs. And he get ready for the second, third round, possibly even the NBA Finals. But the Brooklyn Nets are going insane. Their offense is spectacular, whether they have all three of them, whether they have both of them, whether they have two of them, whether they have Harden. Their offense seems to be working very well, uh, which is not surprising with the seven seconds or less style, space the floor, shoot a bunch of threes, uh, Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni offense. You have a good ball handler who can get his own shot and get for others. His stats will explode and the team will be able to perform offensively. You look at the Los Angeles Lakers, who seem to be getting their act together. Look, the Lakers struggle with that Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder, I agree. But they've won four in a row. They are getting their act together. They are definitely turning a corner, it looks like, offensively. Defensively was never a concern. I believe they're still the best defense in the league by a gap. So last check, and I checked it last night before the games, the gap from the Lakers to the second place team in defense in, in defense is the game gap might be even a little bigger than the gap from the second place team to the 10th place team in defense. And so the Los Angeles Lakers are still playing great defense. LeBron James is absolutely putting his claim on the MVP trophy. He smells it now. He's talking about it because he did this last year. Around the second half of the season, if I had to come up, could LeBron go get number five? And he started talking about it. Some in the media say that he should have won it. I was one of those guys who thought he should have won it. Had they finished the season regularly, he probably wins it. But because his hot weekend came and then the COVID shutdown happened the next week, he didn't really get a chance to keep rolling. And then they said the bubble games wouldn't count towards the um, any awards. So pretty much submit your ballots based on the regular season that you've seen. Uh, if they were going to do it that way, I kind of wish they would have voted they would have just voted, you know, don't even see the bubble games. Don't see the warm-up games or the scrimmages. None of that. Just go vote. Um, but, you know, but then maybe awards turned out how they pretty much supposed to turn out. Giannis deserved to win it, etc. But now he's talking about it. Kuzma talked about it last night. Oh, LeBron. Oh, he calls him Bron. Bron should have eight, nine, ten MVPs. LeBron says, I think I should have a couple more of my trophy case. I'm sure he said other greats feel the same way. You know, he's talking about it. He said, I'm, I'm going to go out every year to try and get it. And I'm going to also, you know, this year is a good opportunity for me. He's talking about it again. Um, he knows Michael Jordan has five. He's five over five. It's another feather in his cap. 
So it is interesting to watch there. The Clippers are beginning to become very inconsistent, incredibly inconsistent to the point where Kawhi, who's never quotable, I legitimately, the only thing I remember Kawhi ever saying is, what it do, baby, on a video, and that horrid laugh that he did uh, when he was first coming to Toronto for the interview, that's about it. I don't remember anything else Kawhi's ever said in his career. And so now him being quotable, saying stuff like, we have to get more consistent, we have to play better. I mean, it, it's simple stuff. It's very everyday. It's non-controversial stuff. It, it, it's very say nothing, with say a lot without saying anything kind of stuff. It's very mundane. But for Kawhi, it's a book. If, if LeBron says we got to be more consistent, whatever, 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 they may be taking it. Oh, he called on his teammates because the LeBron haters in the world and guys who don't really like him want to paint this narrative that he's not this stand-up guy or that he's not this great leader, like Skip Bayless always says for one of them. Um, and others have mentioned it as well. They try to find an alternative narrative. It, it's a thing. If, I don't know, Steph Curry said we have to be more consistent, people are saying Steph's a leader. He's growing his leadership. Kawhi saying anything in the media besides very, very mundane answers is a book. And so when you've got a guy like Kawhi stating that um, they're still collapsing in the fourth quarter, Patrick Beverly isn't back, Lou Will has is up and down, they still don't have a rim protector, they still don't have a point guard. I, and they blamed and they pushed a narrative, Paul George was the spearheader of this narrative, that Doc Rivers was a problem. Uh, Paul George, remember the interview? He stated that, oh, um, you know, they use me like Ray Allen, JJ Reddick coming off of screens, etc. Cetera, et cetera. I'm a pick and roll player. I need to be setting picks. They ain't gonna be getting picks set for me and rolling off that and going from there, etc. Well, factually, it was incorrect because Paul George had the highest pick and roll percentage of his career. So that in and of itself was a BS scapegoaty thing. But also, hey. Doc Rivers poorly coached you to a 3-1 lead and then apparently poorly coached you out of that 3-1 lead, even though you were hitting inside the bubble and missing shots. It's neither here nor there. They, the organization helped that narrative be perpetrated by merely sliding everyone down the bench. They fired Doc Rivers, promoted from within. So Ty Lue got head coach. Sam Cassell became associate head coach. They just slid everybody down the bench. And the same problems exist with this team as the last year's team and Doc Rivers is in Philly. So who the hell is the problem now? Is, is, is it going to be Ty Lue, Paul George? Is, is, is that what's going to be? Are you going to blame Ty Lue for your problems? I doubt it. Because guess what? If I change out something that you complain about and you still fail and falter, guess what? It becomes you. So that is something to definitely keep your eye on there. They are doing that in Los Angeles. Like I said, Utah's up and down now. Rudy Gobert, now he's quotable. I can't remember anything Rudy Gobert's ever said either. Outside of the COVID stuff and he was messing with the microphones, I don't remember anything else Rudy Gobert's ever said. Now he's talking about how, you know, they need to get better and how they feel angry and feel disrespected when people talk about Utah and talk about the players in Utah, talk about Utah's history, and yet they're not doing themselves any favors on the court by being inconsistent up and down and really faltering off since they got a, a several game lead on the NBA, now the Jazz are starting to fall off, return back down to earth. Like I said before, they remind me of that Hawks team that had five All-Stars. They're, they didn't have five, they ended up having three, but the sentiment still remains. They're not that really talented. They don't have a superstar. They don't have anything there 
to really propel them in a series other than, well, basketball acumen, which nobody has more than LeBron. So I don't know how you beat them. I don't know how they beat the Clippers. I don't know how they beat Phoenix, to be honest, in a seven-game series. I picked Denver in a seven-game series over Utah. They are in a bad spot, and they are faltering at the wrong possible time. Now, it's relatively early in the second half of the season. Can they get their act together? Absolutely. With Quinn Snyder and their organization, I believe that they will. But is there something to watch in Utah? Dallas is up to eight now. Uh, like I said, they are fighting. They're scrapping to get back in it as well. So that is another team to watch out for. Obviously, Portland with Dame. He's gone ballistic back-to-back games over the Pelicans. Didn't go as crazy last night. Started off hot. Going for 50 on only 20 shots uh, just two or three nights ago against New Orleans as well. As a Pelican fan, I heard to watch. But he was going insane. And so Dame time is definitely carrying the Portland Trailblazers. Now CJ McCollum is back. Zach Collins, I believe, comes back in a very short while. So this is something to definitely keep your eye on there. Now, the MVP race has been a topic of discussion. Uh, Right now, my rankings would go LeBron at one, Dame at two, Jokic at three, Embiid at four, Harden at five. Uh, People just seem to be wanting to sweep the fact that Houston didn't happen under the radar. Now, if he does this a few more weeks, he might fly all the way up to two or three. Right now, I have him at five. Uh, is it a penalization for Houston? Not necessarily the exit, but it is definitely a, penal- a penalty for the performances in Houston. I mean, you can't not count those. So, I have James Harden at five. I have LeBron James at one right now, uh, currently winning his fifth MVP award and joining Michael Jordan um, as one of the few players, if not the only players in the history of the NBA with five. Um, so that would be huge for his legacy in general, especially going into the summer of Space Jam 2. That should be very fun to do that. Rookie of the Year is heating up now, thanks to Anthony Edwards and his recent performances. He went for 42 last night. He's had a couple of other big performances as well. I have LaMelo Ball in the lead for Rookie of the Year. Uh, I don't believe it's particularly close between him and Anthony Edwards. I really don't. Because Anthony Edwards' team has only won 10 games. And he just really started heating up in the second half of the year. So I would have LaMelo Ball definitely still in first place there. But it is something to keep our eye on as Rookie of the Year is heating up with Anthony Edwards. But up next, we're going to shift back to the NFL to do a little predictions. I like predictions. I think it's a true sign of a guy who's going to go out there in his opinion. So we're going to give a little prediction next on some NFL divisional races. Alrighty, welcome back into the show. A little breaking news, minorly significant. Uh, Riley Reef, who was a tackle, I believe he was a left tackle, for the Minnesota Vikings has stayed in the North but changed conferences. He's going to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I spoke earlier, or I meant to speak earlier, about how Cincinnati is spending a little money. They are finally, I mean, it's not big dollars. They're not, you know, signing Kenny Galladay. Um, and they lost um, AJ Green to the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals putting in work. Uh, we'll talk about them a little later in this segment, actually. But, um, yeah, so the Bengals have signed offensive tackle Riley Reef. So now there's a couple of other solid offensive linemen out there that are possibly moving. 
So the Bengals sit at four or five. Remember how I said the Bengals were in a spot they can pick whatever they want. I mean, they have so many holes that they can pick what they want. Well, they're filling in the offensive line. So now, in theory, you've got your tackles because they drafted a tackle last year from Alabama, a couple years ago from Alabama. He's playing well. You pick up Riley Reef. So in theory, you're no longer in the Penesul Rashawn Slater sweepstakes unless you believe that the tackle you drafted can kick the guard and then you can put Penesul or Slater at tackle. But presumably you're not in that race anymore. So if you sign a guard, you trade for a center, whatever have you, now you may look at five and go, we can't pass on Kyle Pitts. Or you may look at five and go, well, him and Jamar Chase were magic in college. Could they be magic in the NFL? So that is something to definitely keep your eye on. But in this segment, it's not about free agency. Something breaks, we'll talk about it, obviously. It's not about free agency. This is about the NFL divisions and my predictions for the divisions. So I'll do, after the draft, I'll do a full-blown um, season prediction. You know, before I see a preseason game, before I any of that, I'll do a season prediction, and then I'll do one after the preseason, you know, after cuts and trades and whatever, what have you, um, seeing people on the field, etc. So right now, my NFL divisional predictions are as followed. In the, you're going to start in the NFC East. I would have Washington winning it, followed by Dallas, then the Giants, then the Eagles. The only one I am 100% confident on is the Eagles are finishing last. Their organization is a mess right now. It's not the Texans, but it is a mess right now. They are struggling to even figure out a plan for the draft. I mean, they drafted a quarterback last year in the second round, benched the quarterback that they traded in Carson Wentz for this current quarterback in Jalen Hurts, only for reports to come out they may draft a quarterback at six, and now you then have to move Jalen Hurts, but you still don't, you don't have a receiver pretty much because you cut Alshon Jeffrey. You cut a defensive tackle. You cut Deshaun Jackson. You're trying to trade Zach Ertz. Your defense is, I mean, the Eagles have way too many holes to draft another quarterback, but they don't know what they want to do with their life. So I have the Eagles at dead last. I would have Washington at number one right now because that defense is spectacular, especially the defensive line. And Ryan Fitzpatrick can win you a few games. They may also go get a trade Lance. So this prediction could change if Ryan Fitzpatrick is indeed the starter. They may go under Dallas, depending on the health of Dak and the rhythm of the organization. But I would have Dallas at two. They pretty much are bringing the same team back from last year, plus Dak. I would say Dak's worth about three three wins over Andy Dalton over a course of a season. So what is that, eight wins, I believe, or nine wins. I believe Washington may get to nine or ten themselves. And so, and then the Giants at third, at a close third though, with Daniel Jones, they've uh, brought in a couple of weapons. Saquon Barkley's back. They make it Kenny Galladay. So the Giants would be third. In the NFC South, I have the Bucks winning with the Saints second, the Panthers third, and the Falcons are fourth. Now, the Bucks are one obvious. They with the Super Bowl champion. I have them coming out of the Brad do right now. I would have them back in the Super Bowl next season. Um, the Saints are second. The infrastructure, Sean Payton's been five and one or seven and one without Drew Brees over the past couple of seasons. He trusts, he, obviously, Jameis Winston. He likes Taysom Hill. He really likes Taysom Hill. So I believe they will finish second. I have the Panthers at third, but I have the Panthers at third extremely contingent on what. So I actually am going to change my official prediction, or it's not my official prediction, but I'm going to change my current prediction to the Falcons at three, the Panthers at four. Um, 
The Falcons don't have a defense. The Panthers really don't know what they're going to do on offense. Uh, they have an offensive genius and Joe Brady of offensive coordinator, in my opinion. But they don't know what they're going to do just yet. So I would have the Falcons at three under Coach Arthur Smith uh, with a pretty decent record. And the Carolina Panthers at four. In the NFC North, I think this one's fairly easy. I would have the Packers at one. Obviously, they're the best team in the division. They have the best quarterback in the division. And they are fresh off an NFC title run uh, to the any title game. If I had to pick, I'd probably pick them to go again versus Tampa Bay. Uh, or one of the teams we'll talk about in the next division. Uh, Vikings at two. Chicago at three. And the Lions are at four. Um, the Vikings at two, they're the second best team. I mean, that's just plain and simple. They're the second best team. Uh, they probably win a couple of these divisions that we're going to talk about a little later. Okay, no, they're not. Just the division winners, they probably wouldn't win any of them, maybe besides the NFC East. But the Vikings are a good team. Kirk Cousins is there. Justin Jefferson has another year under his belt. Adam Thielen. Um, you know, they gained Patrick Peterson. Uh, so the Minnesota Vikings are in a good spot. They have Dalvin Cook, obviously. Chicago. Okay, you didn't get Russell Wilson. You got Andy Dalton. Not terrible. Andy Dalton won 10 games a year, his first five years in the NFL. He went to the playoffs five times. He didn't win a playoff game, but he won, he, he's a solid NFL starter. Lower end of good. So um, Andy Dalton could be there. And the Lions, well, they're the Lions. They downgraded in quarterback. They lost the number one receiver. They downgraded in coach, although I'm not sure you can go much lower as a head coach than Matt Patricia. Um they're not in a good spot right now organizationally. Um, they're already having a riff with their new quarterback, Jared Goff. So I have the Lions at four. The NFC West, the toughest division in football, is not particularly close. Uh, my current predictions are Rams at one. They upgraded big time at the quarterback position going from Goff to Stafford. I would have the Arizona Cardinals at two. I know everybody's going... <sighs> The Cardinals at two over the 49ers and the Seahawks. How? The betting sites have them at four. Okay. I, I get that. But Kyla's the older. Kyla, the Cardinals are six and three. Then he gets nicked. Uh, they're finishing up their offensive line. They've already drafted. They already traded for Rodney Hudson, who's a top five center in the NFL. They have, I believe, signed a lineman, if memory serves me correctly. They're sitting at a pick where they can go trade up and go get a lineman, possibly. This could be a situation where Cincinnati is willing to move down because they may take a receiver and move down, but you never know. Um, they can come up a little higher, see if they can make some noise and get like a Rashawn Slater or Panay Sewell, something like that. You bring A.J. Green in, if he's 70% of what he was in his peak, he takes pressure off DeAndre Hopkins, who's still there. Christian Kirk is still there. They lost King and Drake, but no biggie there. They got Edmonds and other options. Um, J.J. Watts now on the defense. You did lose Patrick Peterson. You did lose Patrick Peterson. That's going to hurt a little bit, but you still got Buda Baker in the back. I have them finishing second in the division. Also, because of the next team we're going to talk about, the 49ers finishing third, injury. Jimmy Garoppolo has not successfully made it through an NFL season, but one time in that year, he was a throwaway from the Super Bowl. Every other year of his career, he has been hurt by week four or week five, primarily in New England. Uh, it was the Flategate year, and he took over Brady and four games. He was hurt early game three. Brissett played the last two games. He, when he tore his ACL, it was like game two when he was in San Francisco. When he got hurt last year with the ankle, it was like game three. 
So he's usually hurt very early in the season. Because of that point, I would have to put them third. And because of the general dysfunction in Seattle, I would have the Seahawks fourth. Russ and Peter at each other's throw. He undermined the offensive line. The defense already isn't great. You have no first-round draft pick due to the Jamal Adams trade. The Carlos Dunlap signing is over because you released him. There is a lot of different things going on with Seattle. And due to that fact, I would have Seattle as my fourth team in the NFC West. In the AFC, I would have in the AFC East, I would have Bills, defending divisional champion. Uh, Defending conference championship appearance. I would have the Bills one, the Patriots and all their new additions and a revitalized Cam after a full season in the system and a full offseason at number two. I have the Dolphins at number three because by default, the Jets are number four. They are horrible. Um, and we don't know who's going to be their quarterback. If it's Donald, they're probably still finishing fourth with a better record. If it's Trey Lance, they probably have a pretty solid five win season. If it's Zach Wilson, it could be two or three wins. And they are possibly contending for the number one pick in a draft with a lot of different things that's not a quarterback next year. In the NFC South, I have the Indianapolis Colts led by number two, Andrew Luck. Yes, he's wearing number two now in Indianapolis. And he's going to be there. Uh, They're going to, in my opinion, run away and hide with the division, especially because the Titans, who I have finishing second, lost a lot of key pieces. They lost um, receivers, uh, Corey Davis. They lost they cut corners in Adoree Jackson. They cut Malcolm Butler. They released a defensive tackle. They are putting a lot more pressure on Tannehill, Henry, and wide receiver A.J. Brown to carry a lot more of the offensive load. I'm not sure that's a recipe for success, uh, especially long-term success. But, hey, the Tennessee Titans, that is what they're going with at this time. And so I have them at two. Jacksonville. I have at three. Uh, I think Trevor Lawrence and that crew is going to win about six, seven games. They've also been doing work. They've got Shaquille Griffin. They've got a couple of other talented players in free agency. So, and plus, they, you know, they're getting Trevor Lawrence. So I have them winning about six, seven games. Definitely improving over last season. And then Houston, the worst organization in the NFL, and it's not particularly close. I have them at four by a lot. They might not win a game. Um, in the AFC, even though they have Tyrod Taylor, not – Okay, Houston won't be that bad. That would be bad. But they have Tyrod Taylor, who we've seen has been successful. They have Mark Ingram, who we've seen as different things. You know, Mark Ingram's played well in his career. They've made a couple of decent signings. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, the Houston Texans might win three games. It's possible. It is possible. In the AFC North, I have Cleveland winning, although very hesitantly, Baltimore coming in second due to the lack of movement. Cincinnati coming in third due to the improved movement. They may even get to second, depending on how Joe Burrow comes back from his ACL. And I have Pittsburgh last because they have not improved the roster at all. They may actually lose Juju. Ben's getting a year older. They still can't run the ball. They've lost offensive line depth. The defense has lost Bud Dupree. It's, it won't be the greatest year in Pittsburgh, and they will have set their organization back a couple of years by deciding that they were going to roll with Big Ben. Um, like I said, this division I have very tentatively. It could completely inverse. It might inverse. It might inverse. It might completely flip. Um, where Pittsburgh ends up at one, they make some massive deal. They sign Leonard Fournette, and they also somehow draft for Sean Slater. 
okay, things could be a little different in Pittsburgh. Cincinnati goes out and gets Jamar Chase, and we see them first couple of preseason games, and we're like, oh, they're back together. It could be a little different. So this division is definitely the most topsy-turvy, along with the NFC West, in terms of the Seahawks can end up as the best team. They won it last year. Um, or the Cardinals can finish fourth like they did last year, and I have them finishing second. The Cardinals can go from worst to first. There's a lot of things that can happen in the NFC West. The AFC North is just as topsy-turvy. But the easiest division to call, in my opinion, was the AFC West. It went, like I said, fairly easy with the Chiefs at one, the Chargers at two, the Raiders at three, and the Broncos at four. Uh, the Broncos don't know what they're doing at quarterback. They're trying to move off Drew Locke, but haven't found a viable way to do so yet. The Raiders destroyed their offensive line, although they're putting pieces of it back together by re-signing Richie Incognito. They got rid of Trent Brown. They got rid of Rodney Hudson as center. They re-signed, they signed, not re-signed, they signed King and Drake from Arizona. Uh, but other than that, they haven't really done a whole lot. They lost Nelson Aguilar as well. So I have the Raiders at three. The charges at two are due to the fact that they're not the Chiefs. That's pretty much the only reason. In most other divisions, some other divisions I have them winning it, like the AFC North, they'd probably win it. They'd probably win the AFC East. They'd probably win the, definitely win the NFC East and they'd compete for the NFC West. Uh, the Chargers have Justin Herbert in his second year. Derwin James, hopefully, is finally healthy again. Bosa's back. Ingram's back. Allen's back. Uh, Austin Eckler is back. They have a new coaching staff. So we'll definitely be looking at that for the Los Angeles Chargers and the Chiefs. Like I spoke about earlier with their revamped offensive line, they were in the Super Bowl the past two seasons. If I had to predict somebody to get to the Super Bowl, I would predict them out of the AFC again to be the first team to go to three in a row since the Buffalo Bills of the 90s, I believe. It was the last team to go to three in a row. But just to give a recap on my winners, I would have out of the NFC East, or out of the NFC in general, I'd have Washington, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, Los Angeles Rams. Out of the AFC, I'd have Buffalo, Indianapolis, Cleveland, and the Chiefs. Uh, minor update, the NFL triggered one of the ways to get the 17th game. So I expect the 17th game to be soon. It was that they signed a new media deal. They could trigger the 17th game. There was a few clauses to prevent the NFL from just bringing it on without additional compensation. They um, signed a new media deal with several companies. But when they signed the first one, it triggered the mechanism where they can invoke the 17th game. Uh, it's now officially on the table. But up next, we'll be talking about best for last, which will be the NCAA tournament. March Madness has officially arrived. All righty, guys, and welcome back into the show and welcome back into March Madness, which is going to be our best for last I am so excited that the NCAA tournament is back. Obviously, it did not happen last year due to COVID. Um, so the NCAA tournament, like I said, was canceled due to COVID uh, protocols and all of that happening. So obviously with the tournament, 
everybody, you know, nobody goes through their whole Final Four and go through their whole tournament and everything that they predict is going to happen each individual game. And, you know, people usually just put out their Final Fours. They do a champion. Some people don't even do a champion. They do their Final Four because that's the big, you know, where it changes. The college football playoff. What is it? It's four. The Final Four. Four is a very good number. The semifinals, the conference championship game in the NFL. Uh, the conference finals in basket in the NBA. When you get down to four, it gets really, 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 really interesting from that point on. So, in the final four, I would have Gonzaga versus Texas, and I would have Ohio State versus Illinois in my final four. Um, now, you know, you don't pick all number ones because nobody ever. All number ones don't go. This is not how it works. So you don't, you do not pick all number one seeds because, like I said, all number, all number one seeds do not go. I only have two number ones in Gonzaga, Illinois. I only have one number one in the final. I have Gonzaga and Ohio State, and I would have Gonzaga winning it all. Um, to me, they're the best team in the country. They're the only undefeated team in the country. They have a potential Player of the Year candidate in Jalen Suggs. Who I do not think is the best player in the tournament. I actually think um, Kay Cunningham is the best player in the tournament. I just don't think he has the support at um, Oklahoma State that he should or that he could have in order to really, really make a difference. But um, long term, but I would definitely have Jalen Suggs, a potential player of the year candidate, along with Luca Garza as well. But I have Gonzaga winning it by a score of something like 80 to 73 in the championship game, which is never really that high scoring because of how uh, just the backdrop difference, stuff like that. But in a bubble style environment, uh, it might be a higher scoring NCAA final than we're used to. But again, I would have Gonzaga winning the tournament over Ohio State in the championship game by a score of about 80 to 73. Um, Jalen Suggs, I predict, could be the tournament MVP. Uh, Mark Few gets his first title at Gonzaga. And maybe the dynasty's on for the Zags. But that is all we have for the day. Uh, this is a great show. Actually, a lot of show happening. Not really a lot of breaking news in this show, which is odd. Usually, you know, especially like last week, we were breaking news a couple times. I was tweeting while the show was happening. Um, so that is odd. But hey, I thoroughly enjoy it. Tell your friends about us. Uh, tell your friends about the show, about the Twitter page at JTime Sports. Tell them to subscribe. Get on here and learn some stuff. Um, mock draft coming soon. It may not be, you know, this upcoming week, maybe a couple weeks from now, but I always do one right before the draft. So mock draft, full first round, definitely coming soon. Uh, it's going to change a little bit because of these free agent acquisitions, but you guys should definitely keep your eye on that. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and your weekend. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.